Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Clap Your Hands, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And brought to you, Kyle, by what is probably one of the saddest, most devastating losses I have ever experienced watching live. Um, it was just unbelievable. You know, go you go into game seven and you think, okay, it can't be worse than game six. They start off well. They're in it a little bit. At halftime, I think they're maybe only down three or four. They're winning after the first quarter. And it was a lot like game two, where a few minutes in, you're just like, well, that's it. And since then, we have led to you know, 12 hours or whatever of just complete devastation from fans. People want everybody gone. People are completely upset. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know where to begin. Uh, how you doing? Uh, you know, just uh, wondering what it was all for 10 years after they started rebuilding this team and many uh, lead, yeah. lead general managers and presidents later. And then he failed draft picks and trades later. And um, you know, I, I think there's a reflex to just like throw the whole thing out. And, you know, I'm not going to do that in the story I wrote this morning, though. I, I think the thing that sticks with me is like, we can get into, they should have done this. They should have done that. They shouldn't have made this trade. They shouldn't have hired this guy and so on and so forth. The bottom line is, is that their two best players sucked in that game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely sucked. And, you know, we can go back through these playoff defeats that they've had in recent history and say, well, Joel wasn't totally at fault or Joel didn't do this and Joel didn't do that. But, like, at a certain point, man, the guy's 29 years old, right? By the time most guys are in their late 20s, I'm not going to say they've all won titles, but the true greats, have at least had a moment beyond the first fucking round of the playoffs where we looked at that guy and said, he doesn't have the right team around him. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. But he was able to rise to the moment. And you know, we can sit here and say, well, Joel's not healthy this time of year and this and that. But like, it is what it is at this point, man. This guy hasn't gotten it done when they've needed him. And you're going to say, well, MVP was still great and blah, blah, blah. But like, this is fucking bullshit. This is, you know, I made the analogy in the story I wrote today. He is more like David Robinson, who won an MVP in 1995 and got absolutely destroyed by Hakeem Olajuwon than he is somebody like a Hakeem, like a Shaq, like these guys who are the actual great players of their era. His legacy right now is not getting it done in the playoffs. It doesn't matter whether it's because of injury, it doesn't matter if it's because he hasn't had the right guys. He has not shown up. Like the best thing that we can say about Joel Embiid in the second round of the playoffs is that when they played the Raptors in 2019, he had a huge plus minus. We can't say that he scored a lot of points. We can't say he was good on offense, period, in that series. All we can say is they were better with him on the floor because he was very good defensively in that series that is his playoff legacy at 29 years old in the prime of his career and honestly given that he has suffered another injury 
in the playoffs and has gone through this again, what reason do we have to believe that this guy is going to be healthy and be able to deliver when it matters the most? There is no evidence. The burden of proof is on him and it's on the organization. And so everybody that's mad today or that feels apathetic today because you know they were promised this bill of goods, they've heard from me and from you and from other people, this could be a different season. Finally, he breaks through as the MVP. Finally, this, finally that. None of that shit matters, man. When the chips were down, and look, look at Jason Tatum, that whole series. Terrible first halves, terrible moments throughout those games. Game six, when his team needed him, he pulled out a fucking heater in the fourth quarter and carried his team to a victory. Joel has not done it, and until further notice, we have no reason to believe he can do it when it really matters. Yeah. So I think a lot of what you just said, it, it, like it's completely true. And we could argue it as opinion or not opinion. I think what you're saying is fact. Like what Joel's legacy is right now, I can defend it till the cows come home. I can tweet how much MVP matters. I can tell people he's a top five player. You do a great job, you know, illustrating what a great player he is. All those things can be true to an extent. The reality is 99% of NBA fans, when they think of Embiid, they now still think of that image of him, of him crying off the, crying when he walked off the court against Toronto. And now they think of him getting absolutely embarrassed in game seven on, on a national game on Mother's Day, right? So the, 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 the hard part is that I do believe Embiid is a great player. I do believe he was different this year. I do believe that this team was better than a lot of people are going to talk about them today. But the bottom line is, all you had to do, right, was avoid that if you're Embiid. If, the, if, he, if Embiid drops 35 yesterday, now look, maybe they win, but they probably don't. But regardless, if Embiid drops 35 and Harden's really bad, right, then it's, you know what, Harden's a loser, get him out of here. It reminds me a lot of when the Eagles made the playoffs the first year under Sirianni, and they were 9-7, and seven. they didn't really beat anybody all year, but it was a success, successful year. They go into Tampa, and it's, Okay, you're not expected to win the game, but you just can't get embarrassed. And they got absolutely obliterated. And as a result, all offseason, it was, is Jalen the guy? Is Jalen not the guy? The one thing Embiid had to avoid yesterday was exactly what happened. Like the nightmare that everybody was worried about all year. Me and you all, all year talking on the pod. Fans that believed in the team. All year they fought back on, they're the same team, they're just going to lose when it matters and Embiid's not going to show up. And you know what? That is exactly what happened. Exactly what happened yesterday was what everybody was afraid of. And there's no getting around that. There is no getting around it. Like, I have thoughts that are not going to be popular today because they are more on the positive side as opposed to where, where people feel today. But at, at the core, at, at my core, I sympathize with everybody today. It was really sad watching that game. Like, I spent all year defending this guy. Well, until I like, except for when I wanted to trade him for Shea. But outside of that, I spent all year <laughs> defending this guy. And now all the people that I, at my core, I still do believe are wrong, get, get to come out today and go, ha, what a fool you were for believing in this guy. And what I also want to say to fans is like something you said that I think a lot of fans are dealing with today. And there is a, a little bit of truth to it. But I think what I've seen a lot since that game ended yesterday was, I wasted 10 years of my life with this process. Like it didn't work. This was a failure, blah, blah, blah. Look, guys, I am sad today too. I really wish they would have won that game. I wish that this pod was, oh my God, they did it. 
but it was not a waste of the last 10 years. The process was the right decision. It just, it didn't work out the way people wanted, but they have had a legitimate chance to win the title. They had a legitimate chance this year. They were the one seed. They've won 50 plus games. Like it worked. The process was the correct call. They are a top five team in the NBA with the MVP of the league, but it, just sucks that he was a complete no-show yesterday. Like I, I think both things are so true, and that's what makes today so tough for me because there's a part of me that still feels like I did on the couch yesterday watching it and being like, are you kidding me, bro? Like, this is what you're doing in this spot. You're doing exactly what everyone said you would do. Like, But then there's another part of me that is like, everyone relax. The team is still a top-five team. It sucks they lost to the Celtics. But I am not like in a blow it up mode either. So it was it was the worst possible outcome that could have happened. So I'm glad you brought up the the Jalen Hurts Eagles uh, Tampa Bay loss comparison because that's an example of you get some grace and benefit of the doubt in that yeah. situation, specifically because that's Jalen Hurts' first time in the NFL playoffs, like. Obviously, he had lots of high-profile moments in college as an amateur player and what have you. But that's his first time as the leader of an NFL team going into the playoffs. He's playing, you know, the GOAT quarterback, a great team, all that. And look, it happens. And what happens after that? Jalen Hurts comes back, has an MVP caliber season. They go much, much further all the way to the Super Bowl. They're within a few plays of winning the Super Bowl. And people saw tremendous personal growth from him. They saw growth from the team. They saw roster improvements, this and that. The difference with the Sixers is that Joel has had these humbling moments, these moments in the playoffs where he couldn't get it done. And all season we see, oh, look, they moved him to the elbows and they operate him in different areas that he's a better, more efficient scorer than ever. And when push comes to shove, the Celtics are able to disrupt that. And Joel is in the, the mid post, the low post, trying to attack Al Horford one-on-one, getting doubled from different angles, turning the ball over, not making the right passes, taking stupid fadeaway shots that Horford is like in his chest as he's taking them. Mm-hmm. And it looks like nothing has been learned and nothing has been actually accomplished with the, the humiliations, the defeats, the failures that they've had in recent years and beyond that like let's if he went out yesterday and just shot poorly but we could sit here today and say i feel like he left it all on the table i think that's a different story but the biggest disappointment in joel and certainly in james harden too or who i'm sure we're going to get to at some point soon they he just wasn't ready to play in that game yesterday he showed up for the first five minutes like, this is a fucking preseason game. He's out there like it's a close game, a tight game. Like, the, things are settling in. And he's watching rebounds fly over his head as if it just doesn't matter that Boston's getting second-chance points. And Robert Williams is flying in, getting the ball, kicking it out to somebody. Like, he's going, he's getting back cut by Al Horford, who can barely fucking move for most of the series. Like, his level of urgency was I'm not going to say zero on Sunday, but it was close enough to be like, dude, what is wrong with you? How do you show up for the biggest game of your season? And certainly the biggest game of his career to date in terms of how we're judging him and his legacy and him as an individual, it just seems impossible that you could show up and 
look like you just don't really care or understand what the stakes are for that game. I was just my I was mind blown by that. Well, and that's what's crazy to me is the game starts out and the other players played well. Like if we want to keep rolling with yes. the Eagles analogy, the Eagles went out after that Tampa Bay game. They added a lot of talent to the roster. Look, I don't think the Sixers added a ton of talent to the roster, but in that game specifically yesterday, PJ come out comes out and makes threes to begin with. Toby was playing well. Maxi was playing well. Like the, it was not a, a a roster construction problem yesterday. No, it was, and you tweeted this, and I think it's so true. You know, we we can talk about Doc and all these people, and Doc deserves blame for the fact that the Celtics made an adjustment and he was unable to adjust back. Like point blank period, Doc deserves blame. But what came down, what yesterday came down to was. Jason Tatum was special and Embiid was a complete no-show. And so that's where I get frustrated again because it's like, well, what do you do? Like, what, what, what's the next step? And I don't want to move on from this game because we have plenty to talk about all offseason on what they're going to do. But to, to your thing, I don't know what you do about Joel because we know he's great and we know he's special. But outside of, you know, like shaking him before every game, he comes out yesterday and this was what annoyed me the most about his post-game pressers. And I, I think one, you know, the whole quote out of context thing we'll talk about. But what I really, what really frustrated me was his whole, uh, well, we just missed shots. It's like, no, bro, that wasn't the problem. Oh, dude, that was the such problem, BS. The problem was not missing shots. The problem was you came out and looked like you didn't even care. There were so many times where I think rebounding can often be a really good indicator of effort. And there were so many times he is standing under the basket and I'm watching like, PJ Tucker jumping, DeAnthony Melton jumping, and Embiid is just standing there waiting for it. I saw the same thing from Harden. And that's what kills me is I'm sitting there like watching it and I'm just like, are you kidding me right now with what is happening? That's the part that makes me feel foolish. Not the process part, not the believing in the team part. Honestly, what makes me feel the most foolish is I'm sitting here caring a ton about this game and it looks like he doesn't care. And I know he cares deep down. I just refuse to believe he walked into this game was like, eh, whatever happens, happens. But then also he's making those dumb jokes at the podium where he's like, well, what did, what did Giannis say? Like, it's not a failure. Ha ha. It's like, stop, stop, stop. Like, this is not the time. I get that people are going to tweet it and it's going to be funny and you're going to get like quote tweets and blah, 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 blah. Now's not the time, man. And like talking to Tatum after the game, I never go down this road that people do. Like these, these players know each other, blah, blah, blah. But if he played really hard and tried and then he's talking to Tatum, fine. But when it looks like you don't care during the game and then you go up to Tatum afterwards and you're covering your hand to like not let people see what you're saying, you're smiling, you're joking, like, I don't know, man. Like, that's the thing that rubs me the wrong way uh, about, like, the Embiid thing yesterday, too, is just you can't look like you don't care at all during the game in such an important game, such a legacy-defining game. Fair or not, legacy-defining. And then you are you look like you don't care afterwards. Like, that's the best way I can put it. He looked like he did not care. Those role players tried to will those guys yes, into having yeah. a chance in that game. Like, P.J. Tucker is leading the Sixers in scoring. After the first quarter, DeAnthony Melton comes off the bench. Looks like he was shot out of a cannon when he got into that game. I mean, George Niang stopped Jalen Brown on an island in isolation, forced a turnover on a guy who's going to beat him nine out of ten times in isolation. And so mm -hmm. there are lots of you know individual efforts or performances from role players where they're like, "Okay, Joel. Okay, James. Like we're doing our part. We're trying here. We're giving you every opportunity that." Whenever you wake up, we have a chance to win this game. And so now probably is where I want to segue into Harden a little bit. 
Okay. I thought the defining play of that game was the transit transition layup where he goes up and gets called for a flagrant foul on Jalen Brown because he was too busy worrying about trying to draw fouls instead of just playing basketball. The mm-hmm. only reason that that flagrant foul happens is because James was flailing his arms and, and trying to sell something to the officials. And what happens from there? They get the flagrant call, two free throws. Next play, lob to Robert Williams. That's two points. Play after that, Tyrese Maxey turnover, lay up the other way. And it was just, what? my computer just like all the monitors shut down for a second. So I thought I was had too Man. hot of a take to. Uh... <laughs> Moving Kyle is not, you know, what's funny a few seconds ago, not to interject because that I think you're making a ton of good points. A few seconds ago, my monitor shut down too. So I wonder if it's because we're not live at like whatever, but anyway, I, I don't know. But yes. point being, everything is going. They, <laughs> they went from, you know, they're up like, eight, nine points at that point. to then it becomes essentially a two point game and a Boston crowd that at that point was, you know, they're starting to feel a little uneasy. It's like the Sixers are leading kind of comfortably and James and Joel aren't playing well. And James is bullshit. And the focus on, you know, I'm going to run to the teacher and say, this is a foul. And I got to play up every single piece of contact instead of trying to play through the contact and score flips the entire game. And then yeah. from there, you see all the flaws that him and Joel have as basketball players. And it just like we've talked about it during this series throughout the season. When James just focuses on playing basketball and accepts like, maybe I get this call, maybe I don't, but I'm going to go to the rim hard. I'm going to try to finish strong. I'm going to call my number and shoot. That's when he and this team are at their best. What we saw in game seven is what we've seen. We saw last year in game six against Miami and what we've seen James do so many times in these big moments. He deferred and he said somebody else on the team is going to have to try to win this game for us. And it's the ultimate just like, what are you doing type performance from Harden? Like you can't say he went out on his sword. It's like, oh, he, he shot four for 20. Like he would get buried for that too. But at least I would say, look, he's one of your two best players and they're going down with their two best players swinging. And it's just that same theme between both those guys. It made me think back to that moment in game four where P.J. Tucker grabs Joel Embiid after the the N1 and mm-hmm. is screaming at him, essentially telling him they can't stop you. They can't guard you. You got to go out there. And. I just, I don't know. Like, they won 54 games. They had this great season. They pushed maybe the best team in the league to game seven. But, like, I don't, I just don't know that you can have a team where both of the two co stars are these kind of, you know, Harden's a little too cool to be like the rah rah guy. Joel is clearly not like the emotional leader of the team. Like, Mm -hmm. he's the leader in the sense that, He's the best player and his example is what they follow. But you need an ass kicker in these moments. You need somebody like Jason Tatum, who in a game seven just says, give me the goddamn ball and I'm going to figure it out. You need a Jimmy Butler who will do that same thing that PJ Tucker did to Joel in game four, but also just look at a game and say, nobody else has it. I'm taking over. They don't have that guy. And like we can talk about, you don't need the best player on the team to be the uh, 
the passionate speaker and the rah-rah guy and all that. But like, you need one of those guys to be able to kind of grab the game and, and seize the team and say, don't worry about anything else. I'm going to get us through. And like mm-hmm. Joel's been that guy in the regular season, but neither one of these guys have been that when it counts in the playoffs. But what's so crazy to me is like, that's true, right? That is true. But also if the Anthony Melton makes two of those wide open threes in game six, we're talking something different because then it's Embiid took over in overtime a game four. He was dominant in game five. He willed them back in game six after a slow start. And so I agree with you that I don't there is a there is a large part of my heart that feels Embiid and Harden are just losers. It pains me to say it could just be the truth. Like it just could flat out be the truth that Embiid maybe is just not going to do it. But then but but they were also extremely close to doing it, right? Like they were very, they could almost have not have gotten closer without actually doing it. So, but the, the, to the Harden thing, you know, we've, we've done pods, post-game pods where it's, where was the effort? I can't believe he did this, blah, blah, blah. To me, like, I don't even need to go on that rant again. The thing that defines Harden to me, and maybe really the Harden time with the Sixers and definitely Harden yesterday is this tweet from StatMuse. It says, Fourth quarter stats in their last three playoff games for Philly. James Harden, zero points, zero field goals made, zero uh, free throws made. Ben Simmons, five points, zero field goals made, five free throws made. We ripped Simmons, mocked him, like ruined his career in a lot of ways because he was so bad in the fourth quarter against the Hawks, right? Harden was worse. Harden was worse. Like Ben Simmons, more fit, more uh, fourth quarter points in his last three playoff games than, than James Harden. Like, how is that possible, right? How does that happen? That when you trade Ben, you do it with the idea of, okay, phew, now we have somebody that's going to score. Now we have somebody that's not going to completely choke. And like, you know, all the like, thanks Ben Simmons jokes and the bricks and the free throws. And like, all right, well, well, hey, Harden's bad, but at least it's not that bad. No, it was that bad. It was that bad. Like the effort that he got was worse in some ways than what Ben Simmons gave you. And obviously, Harden had bigger highs. Game one, unbelievable. Game four, unbelievable. But the toughest thing I think about Harden moving forward is Harden will give you 40 points, and then he'll be completely disinterested for two games. And then he'll give you 40 points, and then he'll be terrible, right? For all of Ben Simmons' flaws, and he had plenty of them, at least you knew you like you knew Ben was not going to shoot the ball and he was going to be that outside of it. So when you talk about building around Joel and Harden, they are both extremely talented. But the tough part about building around them is that they're also both somewhat unpredictable. And I, I don't know how you build around unpredictable. But the, the other thing, real quick, since I just brought up his name, the saddest part about yesterday that just completely encapsulates what a depressing, like, I can't believe you did this to us moment is when Ben Simmons posts on Instagram, a shot of him watching the Sixers game. And you know what? Like the Sixers deserved it. Joel, you took, no, nah, no, we're not going to let Ben Simmons get away no, with that. I'm bullshit. sorry. Like that it, was, like, that was the, I know it ain't, that ain't who I think it is. Moment no, 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 no. You know what that was? You know what that was? Joel, you have dunked on Ben repeatedly. Right. And guess what? You want to be like the Ben funny Simmons social- couldn't even show his fucking face when they I- played in the playoffs. He doesn't yep. get the fucking gloat over this. The fuck nope, off, but- man. No, no, fuck no, no. That guy. Here's why. He's here's a loser. Why. He, he is, is a loser. Well, but get what's what's Embiid then, right? Because look, if, if here's I'm not what saying I'm he saying. isn't, but what I'm saying right. is that guy does not get to call him. Like, if you want to say 
Nikola Jokic or Giannis or like some of these other guys who have actually done something, if they mm-hmm. want to look down on Joel for not being the guy, fine. But that guy, no, I don't think so. So here's why I disagree with that. Because Joel, you want to like be Mr. Funny Social Media Guy. You want to post the, the meme when Ben gets traded. You want to do all these little subtle jokes. Fine, do it, man. Ben deserves it. Ben, right? But you don't get to be the bully all the time. And then when you're in a down moment, that guy takes a shot at you and be like, well, how could you say that? Sorry, Joel. Like, this is what you did to yourself yesterday. You opened yourself up to that type of criticism. Like, so I get your point about Ben. Look, Ben was on the Brooklyn team that Joel swept last round, right? But at the end of the day, the fact that Ben could tweet that and feel comfortable enough to tweet it, it just shows how poorly that went for Joel. It shows flat out how poorly that went, that Ben Simmons got to take a shot at him on social media. And frankly, most Sixers fans weren't even mad at him for it. I saw a lot of Sixers fans on Twitter being like, oh, here we, you know, like, of course, like blah, blah, blah. So I just like... I don't know, man. It was so disappointing to see Joel put him in that spot to put him to put for Joel to put him in the spot where all the people that I disagree with get to get to make fun of him and dunk on him. Like, that's what sucks the most. All the people that I said was wrong. All the people that I was like, blah, blah, blah. They got to do it. And Joel let him do it. Joel put him in a spot where they could do it. All I'm saying is we're splitting hairs to some extent here. I, I agree with you that you have that kind of performance yesterday. You invite all the criticism from you know media fans players right. coaches whoever the guy who does not get to criticize you is the guy who's too big of a bitch to even sit on the bench during a playoff series against your team if you can't even show face to to when you're in the series yeah, your team is in the series about like you don't get to post on Instagram and do it like that guy it's like want to say maybe Joel and James are just losers like that guy is as big of a loser as there is in the NBA. Like you can't be that much of a pussy and then try to go on Instagram and flex on a guy afterward. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with most of that, but to what you started with saying about Joel's legacy, Joel's legacy to all to also a lot of the league is a loser. And that's why, I mean, we can talk about his post game a little bit. Cause I'm curious for your read on him uh, since you have, you know, you know, Joel really well. That's why it annoyed me when he did the whole Giannis joke yesterday. Like, like, what are you doing, man? Like, that was ridiculous. You, what do you like? Why are you still thinking about this? Like, why is this on your mind right there? Of what can I say that it's going to be really funny to people? And it's like NBA Twitter is going to go, oh my god, like this league. I can't believe he said it. Like, bro, you just got embarrassed in Game Seven and played absolutely horrendous. Like, you're really up there cracking a joke about Giannis. So I didn't like that. I didn't like the. Uh, the we just missed shots thing. I thought that was was poor. Um, you know, I didn't think his body language was super like I'm sad I lost this game, but I don't know. People handle things differently. I don't know if I want to rip him for that. But I do think what he's being ripped for is unfair. Like this quote that went viral where he says we can't play five on three. And I get why in the moment that looks really bad. But the quote in, in in its entirety, like he did point the finger at himself a lot. He said repeatedly, I wasn't good enough. I have to be better. It starts with me. I'm like all those things. But it was really lame and disappointing to now see like Dame Lillard quote tweeting it and going, huh? Especially when they might try to trade for Dame or like Kyler Murray, who's one of the biggest losers in the NFL being like, this ain't it. I, I just like on one hand, I think it's completely unfair how it was phrased. On the other, I don't know. Part of me just don't even go down that path. I, I don't know. What do you think? 
No, I, I mean, obviously it's another great example of how people just want to try to repackage what is actually said for something yeah. that seems snappier on Twitter or social well, media in general. Risk of live say. tweeting too. Yeah. Um, but to your point, the thing I really took issue with, and I honestly, I kind of anticipated this in my recap yesterday. So this is filed as soon as the game ends. I said, all the things that a lot of people love him for when he's not playing right now. So like the funny press conference stuff, the tweeting, the Instagram posts, all that. Nobody's going to find that funny anymore. You go from, yeah. oh, wow, he's a star with a personality to this guy's a clown. Like that's what people are going to say. And in that moment on Sunday, he deserves that type of reaction. That is a clown reaction to one of the most embarrassing losses in the history of your franchise that you play for. You cannot go up there. Like, yes, he said a lot of the right things. He said, you know, it starts with me. Like if we fail, that means that I failed. I have to get better every season I've gone and I've added something. I've done this. I've done that. Like that stuff is all well and good. And I, you know, people were saying he threw his teammates under the bus. What I thought him and James Harden both did was, Neither one of them pointed the finger at each other. They said, you know, in Joel's case, he said, unfinished business. Like, we can do yeah. more. Obviously, point. like, I, I think we could win. And it was not a thing where they're not pitting themselves against each other, which that's good. If they end up running this back and, you know, we'll we'll get into the mechanics of all that eventually, that's good. That At least it seems like these two guys are aligned there. But to not even be able to get through – what I feel like should be a really serious moment and press conference and like come to Jesus moment where you yeah. say, look, man, my best or what I, my, the best I had to offer in this gigantic game was not only not good enough, it was flat out unacceptable. And to come out and now you're mocking Giannis, who by the way, has won a title, like yeah. has d- gone further than you multiple times in the playoffs and has a lot more cachet then you've built up. I just thought that was a, for a guy who is as smart as he is and can be measured when he wants to be. I just thought that was such a gigantic misunderstanding of where he's at and where his team is at. Well, and you said smart and I think it's so true because what makes Joel awesome and frustrating at the same time is that he knows what he's doing. Like he's very good at playing the game. He is an online guy. Like he knows the meme to tweet. He knows the joke to make, right? And so when in that moment, he, I think he thinks about it. Like he thinks this will be funny. I will say this. And so I thought he just misread that moment. And, you know, look, like I work for WIP. I encourage everybody to listen to WIP today. And I encourage you to all download the Odyssey app. There is a part of me today that it's going to be really hard to listen to this because I know what everyone's going to say about Joel. He brought upon himself. Now, I fundamentally disagree with it. Like, I do think they can still win with Joel. I do think Joel is a top five player. All the things that I realized about Joel this year, I'm happy I did. And there'll be a lot today of, I can't believe I believed in this team. And a lot of people are quote tweeting my, like, saying an, it, that Embiid MVP felt like a championship to me. I got news for you guys. Yesterday just fueled me even more to feel that way. Because people can make fun of me and they can make fun of Sixers fans for believing. And how could we ever believe, blah, blah, blah. This MVP season was one of the funnest seasons I've had in a long time. And maybe it's because Embiid's been great. I've enjoyed doing the pod with you. Like, 
I don't regret any of it. I don't regret believing in this team. I don't regret, like, I feel foolish that they lost yesterday and it burns me that Embiid did that to me. But I, I just think this whole relitigating of the process of like, I can't believe Sixers fans wasted 10 years of their life. The Sixers have had one of the best stretches in franchise history. Now, it has resulted, unfortunately, in a lot of really bad endings. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I maybe it's because it's 12 hours later. I've got to sleep on it. I'm curious where you're at with it. But I am not in this mode of, like, it's been a complete failure. I still think the process was the right call. I still think they put themselves in good spots. There were mistakes made, for sure. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can get down with the whole you'll never win with Joel. This team are, is a bunch of losers. I still believe me and you were right that this team was different in a lot of ways. They they got the Celtics in the second round. If they if they reseed in the playoffs and they lose this game in game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, people feel differently. That's just a, a, a flat-out fact. So I know it's a bit of a rant, but I'm just curious where you're at with all that stuff. Well, I mean, look, here's the difference. In 2019, we could say, when they lost to Toronto, we could say if they just had a decent backup center maybe they win the title right in 2021 as much as everything gets put on ben simmons we could say if kevin herter didn't light seth curry's ass on fire for four quarters maybe they win that series and maybe they win the title that year like we, mm -hmm. we don't know this year stings the most i think because the role players were up for it that game like they weren't good after halftime but Nobody they was. gave you that first half and said, here's what we got in a game set on the road where role players do not play well in the playoffs, period. To give you that good of a half in the first half and for the Sixers to only be down three, they did their job. Like It felt for the first time that the Sixers had a, a group around their stars, their leaders that you could say, those guys were up for it. They showed up. They gave you an opportunity that if you stand up and, and seize this game, seize this moment, you can win the game. And so for Joel and James to no-show that badly in that sort of scenario, I think is why there are all these arguments today and yesterday about the process and this and that. And like, I'm not that interested in going down that road because I wrote it this morning. It's like, we could pick apart every decision. Like, what if they don't draft Fultz? What if they trade yeah. Ben for Kawhi in 2018? What if they keep Mikhail Bridges? What if they do this? What if they do that? End of the day, we're here. Like you're not going to overwrite history. This is not a, we can't un, we can't reload a save file and go back and say, hey, well, just redo it all. Joel is now 29 years old, and the situation they're in is that they don't really have a lot of options out of this, right? Like. Yeah, we're going to get into over the offseason, should they or shouldn't they bring back James Harden, right? But if James Harden leaves, they have essentially no ability to replace him and his production. If right. once once Tyrese Maxey signs his extension, they are also then kind of locked in for some cap reasons moving forward. And we're going to talk a lot about you know his weaknesses as a player versus, oh, he's this exciting young talent. Tobias Harris has a big expiring contract, the trade, but you're going to have to attach stuff to him in order for that expiring contract to bring value back and make the team better. Yeah. And so, so much of this is just going to be how much value, both as a, a basketball proposition and as a sales pitch to your fans, does firing Doc Rivers bring? 
And, and like, that's another like full podcast argument we can have. But I think that to me is like the saddest part about all this. You're looking for how do you even make this appealing to people? How do you look your fans in the eye and say, this is going to be different? Because clearly we've seen even after a great season, I don't think they can believe in the stars to just like, oh, natural growth is going to get them there. There needs to be some sort of relatively big change in order to inspire any hope. So like, I don't even care so much about, yeah, I think it was smart to tear things down and we could pick apart all the decisions. But like the big thing now is where the hell do they go from here? Like, that's the big question. Well, it's such an interesting discussion because you are right. From a PR perspective, it is going to be very, very, very hard to go into next year where fans feel things could be different. After they lost to the Hawks, there was, well, Ben's not going to play. He was the problem, right? When they lost to the Heat, it was, well, everyone's super mad, but Harden was his first year there. He was, you know, blah, blah, blah. He comes out, he plays well. You talk yourself into it. When they lose to the Raptors, you know, well, maybe Jimmy will be back. He was also half a year. What's tough about this team is, and you're right, in that they have very little flexibility. But what's tough about this team is they're probably also the best team of all these teams. Like if if this was a company where it was not a public facing company, it is not hard to talk yourself into, well, look, we were a top three team in the NBA record wise. We were probably a top five team in the NBA overall. We got unlucky with where we lost in the playoffs, but the opponent we lost to is not one where it's like, whoa, this is a red flag. We're not very good. Had they won, had they beaten the Celtics and lost to the Heat, people would have been upset, but then there would have been a, well, at least they got out of the second round. So when you say, or when I said like what happened yesterday was the worst possible outcome, it was literally the worst possible outcome. And what Daryl Morey is going to have to balance is making emotional decisions to appease fans versus what the smart decision is. I don't completely understand the James Harden contract thing, but if what you're saying on a, you know, like a large scale without getting into details is it's basically bring Harden back or replace him with nobody. I don't know. Unless you think he's such a loser, you can't have him around. I don't know why you don't bring him back. Like, yes, they can try to trade Toby. And this is my issue with people that are saying, well, you have to do something. Yes, I would. If they won the championship, I would be open to any move that improves the team. As much as we hate them right now, as much as it's depressing how they lost, they are still one of the best five teams in the NBA. And it's hard to go from number five to number one because you're already so good. And that's another interesting part of where they are at is, you know, like, look, uh, I, I read an article from Michael O'Connor uh, of the rights, Ricky Sanchez. He said that, you know, 19 teams have been to the conference finals since the Sixers started the process. And you look at that and you go, wow, like how have the Sixers not been one of them? The Hawks are one of them. The Hawks have a, had a one-off run at it, right? The Hawks, I don't think any Sixers fan would rather be the Hawks. The Mavericks went to the fi- conference finals last year. They couldn't even make the play in this year in the West. So what's interesting about where the Sixers are at is, yes, there is an argument for saying maybe this group never gets it done. So maybe you just have to make major changes to change the vibes of it. I think the main vibe is Embiid as much as we can play around it. Like Embiid, is, as long as Embiid's here, you're going to carry all that baggage. But at the end of the day, the Sixers have had a legitimate roll of the dice each of the last few years. And I don't know what more you ask for other than just wishing you would win that final game. So it's a tough off season in that regard. Cause yeah, I don't want Harden back like emotionally. I can't stand watching him do what he did yesterday, 
but they are a very good team. They are. I'm not going to back down from that from fans just because they're mad right now. They are a very good team, and it's going to be tough to be better next year. Yeah, I mean, think of a scenario where Harden leaves, you pay Maxi, you can't find a proper deal for Tobias. Yeah. And you essentially walk into next season with Tyrese as the lead guard. You start maybe DeAnthony Melton alongside Harrison Tucker and Joel. I mean, what's the ceiling on that team? And yeah. the the problem with that is what we've seen in the past. Like if you thought Boston loaded up against Joel when Harden was on the team, wait till what happens when <laughs> it's Tyrese Maxey is like the yeah. only other guy who's a real creator on the team. And even then, he he's mostly a, a score first creator. He's not a you know make other people better type playmaker yet. So yeah, I mean, I really the question is going to come down to can they get Harden to come back on less than you know a max type deal? Because certainly the swings in effectiveness, both mentally, physically, you just can't pay that kind of guy going into his late thirties, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Like that's just not a thing that you can do. But if you don't, then I don't know. It certainly seems like James Harden could just walk back to Houston and get whatever he wants financially and ride off into the sunset, not really caring about Winning, I guess, you know, like well, let me, we talked let me, about uh, whether he's a loser or not for going back to Houston. Let me pepper you with a few hardened questions just to kind of read where you're at with it. Um, are you at a point right now where you would not bring Harden back no matter what? No, I I think okay. that that would be negligence if you just say we're not bringing him back regardless. I don't know. I'd have to think a lot more about what the number is, though, that you bring him back at. Well, so then my follow up would be. So this morning, once again, there's a report that Houston is a very real possibility. That could be real. That could be leverage. We have no idea. I thought it was interesting. Harden said after the game, he was asked loosely kind of like, what are you looking for next year in a team? And he said he wanted to compete. I thought it was in a very like interesting phrasing. It wasn't, I want to win a title. It was, I want to compete. Maybe that's what he meant, but maybe he sells Houston as competing. But here's what it comes down to too. Let's say... Houston goes, I'm just going to be irresponsible and I'm just going to give Harden the max because for a PR perspective, like whatever their reasoning is, we can disagree with it. But if he has a legitimate like max or near max offer on the table from Houston and he says, I am going to take it unless you ma unless you match it, would you do it? I don't think you can give that guy the max. It's just like, but again, I don't know. Next year, then? I don't know where the line is. Like, where do you... And the part of the reason to bring him back, even if you don't love the contract, is the hope that maybe you trade him and recoup some value at some point. Because if you just let him walk in free agency for nothing, that is that's a huge problem because yeah. they're they're already down multiple assets because of the trade for him, and not to mention you know role players that had helped them over the years to make that trade happen. So. That would be a, a huge failure to just let him get away. But, you know, the flip side of that is you might end up in a few years just completely stuck. Like as apathetic as people feel now and as stuck as they feel this team is right now, imagine in a few years where Harden is older and has less to offer night to night than he does now. Like that's a, yeah. that's a scary possibility. Do you think Harden wants to come back? I wish I had a better read on that. That's... Yeah. 
you know, because you hear so much of the smoke from other places. And again, I, I think he what he said after the game yesterday at least left the door open. It was certainly not a a post-game seven media availability where he slammed the door shut on returning and was like, you know, screw this team, screw Joel. The only person who really, I thought, ended up in his crosshairs was Doc Rivers, where he got (laughs) asked about their relationship and said it was okay and left it at that. Everyone else, you know, it seemed like a pretty normal, you know, I, I thought we had enough type deal so i think he he knows though that he's got to keep maximum leverage on everybody right now so always have to consider that part of it well what's interesting about the doc thing is so i do think they will fire doc i would be very very surprised if he is back but the interesting part of the doc decision is if you fire him you do have to pay him those final two years i would assume he's one of the highest paid coaches in the nf uh the nba And I slipped NFL there because on one hand, you could go, Joshua Harris just bought the Washington Commanders. This guy's made of money. He's not going to let finances be a decision there. On the other hand, you could go, he just spent $6 billion on the Washington Commanders. Does he want to, A, pay Doc to leave, which is going to be expensive? But then also, if you fire Doc, I don't know. Like, I guess you could hire, rehire a cheap coach that you sell as upside. But the names that you hear fans wanting, like a Jay Wright, Monty Williams, like these are not guys that are going to come in here and be the lowest paid coach in the league. So I just wonder if money plays a role in the decision to bring Doc back. You would hope it wouldn't, and I don't think it will. But that would be my 15% that Doc maybe is back, is that Joel seems to really like him. And there is a real financial aspect to firing Doc. Yeah, I'm... We'll see on Doc. There are some uh, some signs in either direction so far. Is what I would say, but I no nothing concrete enough for me to determine whether I think he's going to last or not. I, I again, I'll say what I said earlier. I think beyond the you know wanting a better X's and O's guy or or whatever, I, I think one of the biggest considerations, sadly, is like can you look the fans in the eye and expect them to care about this team if you just bring everybody back? And the coach is the easiest guy to change. The one that maybe doesn't have the most upside, but at least offers some upside. You get, you know, maybe a more creative tactical guy in there, someone who's, you know, won't be as good as Doc in terms of the ego managing and the relationship stuff, but might get more out of them on the floor that you have to, weigh the cost benefit there but mm-hmm. yeah i'm i'm that's the biggest the first biggest thing to happen because it, we'll probably know within i would say the next week or two if he's going to be the head coach of the team yeah i would also think you know from a pr perspective it would be a very easy you know get fans off our back a little bit just to fire him in the next few days i could also see like Doc just walking away and being like, all right, you know what? I'm, I mean, and still getting paid, but you, you know, I'm fine with being fired. You're not going to have to twist my arm. I, I'm going to make this money. I can go do whatever I want. I'll go do TV. I do think there would be something. Um, I don't want to say Doc wasn't motivated, but I, I think there would be some benefit of getting a head coach for as much as Joe Missoula has flaws. He is like his career was on the line in this series. I think that we can pretend like Doc's legacy matters. But ultimately, Doc has won a title, has probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, Doc's good. You know, like, Doc, Doc, 
Doc's fine. I think that for a team that has a lot of guys that are somewhat set, it would be a benefit to get a head coach like Nick Sirianni with the Eagles. After Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl, I sensed a, a slight bit of, you know, I can't think of the word, the words on the tip of my tongue, but just a, oh, well, we won and, you know, I'll keep my guys around the me. Feeling you know, a satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. Whereas with Sirianni comes in, people are making fun of him off the jump and the whole team like feeds off that motivation. Jalen Hurts has that same thing. I think this team needs somebody that's going to come in and really need to win like a head coach that has to build a reputation. So I guess that would be something I would look for in a new head coach. If that's what they do. I, I agree with you that firing doc, like, I don't know, I guess it helps, but ultimately it's not going to make me feel different about the team going into next year. Do you have any other thoughts off the game yesterday? Anything we didn't really get to? No, I think we should probably leave the rest of the, uh, the bitching and moaning for future podcasts since we no longer have any games to talk about for the next however many months. No. Well, there'll be a lot of interesting pods. Uh, I know the Sixers are talking today, so there will be a lot of what does Embiid say? What does Harden say? I actually don't believe they are talking today now. I take that back. Yeah. Aren't Uh, exit interviews today? Am I wrong about that? Whether with the team. No no comment for me for right now. uh, Well, who knows? Maybe they'll talk. Maybe they won't. We will find out. But... I guess the last thing I will say to wrap up this pod is it has been a very sad 24 hours for Sixers fans or really 48. If you include game six, like depressing, they were so close. I was in that arena. They were right there. And I've seen a lot of people feeling dumb. And I remember after the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, it was a very sad fan base. And what I want to say to Sixers fans, if you are still listening right now, don't feel like you were fools to believe. I would rather go down swinging with a team I believe in than have spent all year being one of those losers on the sideline that's like, they're just not going to do it. Who cares? I'm not going to watch the games. They're going to lose. Don't be that person. That's not what a fan is. That's not what following a team is. You only get so many years of following these teams, right? There's only so many seasons. And while this is incredibly disappointing, and I feel like a fool for having the end of it, and I feel that sadness, I want to say, hey, thank you to everybody that has followed the pod and taken the journey with us and not decided just to not care. But this was not a waste of the last 10 years. You were not fools for believing. This team was a good team. They lost, and they lost in the worst way. But you were not fools for believing. And this offseason, there'll be decisions to be made. Next year, we'll all go through it again, and maybe there'll be a different result. But allow yourself to be sad. But I hope that if you get anything from this pod, it's that – The sky fell yesterday, but overall, it's not falling overall. There's still reason to believe. It's a good team. They have a great player. And I do think next year, I think next year they could do it. But it is certainly sad today to to have had it end like that. Yeah, and I get all the pessimism. But also, if you're just going to be Mr. or Mrs. Pessimism at all times following a sports team, just drop the hobby from your life, yes. right? Like if you if you can't if you can't have fun, and like yesterday, clearly nobody had fun that enjoys the Sixers as a an idea. Um, yeah, no. If you can't have fun following them, then don't. Like that's what I would say. Like if you, the one thing that I really love about Eagles fans specifically is that every off season, it doesn't matter how crushing of a loss there was whether they lost, they didn't make the playoffs, went to the Super Bowl, lost in the divisional round, whatever it is, every single August without fail, 
people are talking themselves into it. They're saying mm-hmm. this could be the year. I believe in the birds and this and that. And so eventually with the Sixers, I'm sure there are a lot of people who will get there again, who will put their faith in Joel and whoever is still left standing around him next season. So it's going to take a lot of off-season podcasts for us to get you to that place. But we'll, you know, we're going to talk through, you know, all the things they might be able to do, whether Doc will get fired or not, and you know, who replacements could be, what differences they'll make if they were to come here. So this is to say, this is still a hobby that you should have fun doing. And yeah. I hope that the podcast this season, while the games were still going on, was something to help people have fun following the team. And that's the goal moving forward, certainly. Well, I can tell you this. I certainly had a, fun, a lot of fun doing the pod. But Kyle, I have a, a warning for you. If you thought in-season Elliot was like, you know, something to be handled, off-season is, is my time. Hypotheticals, trades, free agents, firings, like... I am ready to go. I'm ready to talk myself <laughs> into why they should trade for Damian Lillard, why they should maybe hire this guy. Like I'm going to live and die with every rumor. It's like when I used to play video games growing up, um, you know, I'd play like NBA 2K, of course, the Iverson version, but I played the games because of course the funnest part for me was making the trades, like going through all the seasons and doing all that stuff. So as much as I love basketball, I love watching the games. Like this is my time. Like I thrive in these moments. So I am, I am very excited for the offseason, and it'll be a fun one because they are one of the best teams that has a chance to win it, and that always is more fun than, you know, being the 10th seed that's figuring out what to do. So we will have pods for you consistently throughout the offseason. As I say all the time, make sure you have the Odyssey app so you get those episodes first. We will try to come up with a more maybe consistent schedule now that uh, there's no games. So, you know, there's not that, <laughs> that to worry about. But, uh, yeah, thank you to everybody. And uh, Kyle, I know you have to potentially you have to get out of here right now, but we will talk to you guys later in the week. And thank you again uh, to everyone that listens. I'll talk to you later. Thank you guys. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>